Amen. So today as we get into looking at that we are to share the gospel, I want to take a look at briefly, I, I oftentimes read through the scriptures, particularly the book of Acts, and I see the early church. And when I read about the early church in the book of Acts, I, I think a lot of, of about what they did, because to me, I think that's important to how we should be doing things as a church. And if you look at the early church, one of the things that they did, probably one of the most important things they did, is they shared the gospel with others. They weren't afraid to keep it inside. And the truth is, if you're born again, if you're saved, if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you realize that you've been given a brand new life. And I know that's an amazing thing to be made again, to be completely forgiven of all of your sins, to be able to have a clear conscience and all that stuff put behind you. You've been made brand new. That's a good thing. And most of us, when we get a good, have a good thing going, we tell everybody about it. Right now, if you guys are close to me at all you speak to me anytime outside of church oh really in church too i'm losing a lot of weight right now it's a good thing and i'm telling everybody about it you know we whenever something good happens to me i want to tell every everybody about it some of you guys that that watch football something good happens in football and i'm like man i can't get a word in edgewise because i don't even watch sports i don't know what they're talking about and uh they're talking about football man something's good in football they're telling everybody you know if you win the lottery Nobody's going to take all that money, put it in a jar and bury it in the backyard and try to keep it a secret. You're going to tell people. Well, I want you to know, as far as eternity is concerned, you have won the lottery. You were given a free gift of salvation, eternal life to be made right with God. And it's not just available to you. It's not like the lottery where only one out of, you know, 500 billion people win. If you play the lottery, you're dumb. It's not very good odds, just so you know. So uh, you have a better chance of getting struck by lightning than, yeah, twice than winning the lottery. It's, uh, that being said, if you win, we are a nonprofit organization, so send some this way. <laughs> Hallelujah. We'll get you a tax break, and you're going to need it, trust me. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I look at the early church, and I think how important sharing the gospel was to them, and I think that that should be important to us as well as a church and individually. And the truth is, what is our vision here at Living Hope Family Church? And that is to build His church. We want to make an impact in this community. We want to share the gospel with others. We're here to win the lost. That's our whole purpose. And the reality is, and some of us can say, well, that's not really me. I just kind of want to keep to myself. I just kind of want to do my own thing. But the truth is, is that when you're born again, you have the life of Christ living inside of you. And the thing about Jesus is he loved people. The thing about Jesus, he was willing to give up everything, even his own life for the good of others, for the good of all of us. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul imitated Christ. We're supposed to imitate him. Some simple math just says we're supposed to imitate Christ. Amen? Amen. Philippians 2, 3 through 8 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others is more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours, If you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like me. Nope, this is also yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death 
on the cross. Jesus was willing to give up everything for all of us. And the truth is, we have him inside of us. We have the mind of Christ. We have his life inside of us. We have his characteristics. So that should be the same attitude that we have. And the truth is, this is not only individually we should have that attitude, but corporately as a church, we're going to have that attitude as well. And with that goal in mind is why we do the things that we do. The truth is, we didn't stand out there last night for two hours handing out candy because that's just our favorite thing to do. I tell you what, by the time I was done walking around, I'm sure all of you, my feet hurt. I was, you know, I'm about done with people because we probably had 5,000 of them come through, and that's not an exaggeration. Um, We don't do it because... You know, somehow we get some weird enjoyment. We do it because we love people. We want to make an impact. We want to be a blessing to this community. And the whole purpose of it is is so that people can see Jesus inside of us. So they can see His love through each of us. And the stuff that we do as a church, um, we want to do more outreaches. We want to have more events like that. We want to do more stuff. Everything that we do as a church has the single primary goal of introducing people to Jesus. That's why we do everything. That's why the church is set up the way it is. It's why we do the kind of music that we do. It's why we have lights up here. It's why we, we, we do everything that we do is so that ultimately somebody would have the opportunity to come in and be introduced to Jesus Christ. And it's our goal to show love to a community who, who there's so many people walking around today that have no hope. They have no, they're looking for, for hope. They're looking for answers in something. They have nothing, but that's something that we can give. The Scripture says that we have a treasure in earthen vessels. What we want to do is share this love, share the gospel with others so that they can participate in the same freedom, the same uh, victory, the same wholeness that each and every one of us that have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior have. Amen? In Acts 29, uh, Acts 4, verses 29 through 31, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. How many know that sharing the gospel is actually not terribly easy, it seems like? It seems like we get all nervous and scared inside. And, and this is what, what it said here. It says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. We need a little boldness from time to time. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders performed through your name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I love that we can look at the early church and we can look through the scriptures and see that there's examples set before us and how we're supposed to actually operate in many ways. And we see the early church then was, was speaking in boldness, sharing the gospel. They weren't shying away. They weren't backing down. And the truth is, sharing the gospel back then could get you killed. It could get you in all kinds of mess, ostracized from your family. You could have no support, but they were willing to share the gospel. It's actually much like when Muslims come to know Jesus Christ right now. When they, when they begin to, to, to see him as their Lord and Savior, they'll be removed from their family. Many times, even their wives or their husbands will try to kill them or imprison them. The truth is, in the United States, we don't got that much to worry about. Our freedom of religion is protected. At least it still is now. And we're going, we have the opportunity to, to live in that. And we don't have any reason not to speak in boldness because really not much is going to happen to you except for somebody might call you a name. 
And I can just go ahead and do that first. We get that out of your system. We don't have to worry about it anymore. See, the thing about the early church when we read this is they're just like a church plant. You know, they're young, they're young like us. They have small amounts of people. They don't have any resources. They don't have anything except for a passion and love for Jesus Christ and, and wanting other people to share in what they've received in Him. And they shared the Word of God with boldness. And then they, not only did they share in boldness, they prayed for continuing to speak in boldness. And that's something we should all be praying for on a regular basis. It's for boldness in our own lives that we might share the gospel with others. Because let's face it, sometimes it is hard. As much as we, I can get up here and say it shouldn't be that hard, you have it easier than Christians in a lot of other countries, the reality is, is it still can be tough. I don't know how many times I've been sitting filling up my car with gas and heard that still small voice saying, hey, you need to share with the, with the gas station attendant. And I'm, I'm, you know, are you sure, God? You really, 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 really sure? And you're like, and then some people, you ever done this? You're like, nah, that's just the devil. He wants me to embarrass myself. You ever done that? He just wants me to embarrass myself. Trust me, it, trust me. The devil is not going to tell you to share the gospel. I'm not going to tell you to share Christ with somebody else. But we make excuses because we become afraid. We're worried about what other people are going to think. And the truth is, we may not face the same persecution of the early church, but I believe we can still be as effective if we will share the gospel with others. You know, when we started this series, one of the things that Dr. Leon made really clear and kind of opened my eyes is that we're praying that we would have 80 people attending this church by the end of the year, and it's all well and good to pray, but we also need to start acting that out, stepping out in faith. We need to be sharing the gospel with others. And that's going to be corporately, but also individually. It is all of our responsibility to, to, to build the church and to grow it. And we can be effective. You know, one of the, 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 for me as a pastor, the easiest things to slip into when I look at other churches, like the Springs Church and Pastor Jeff, he's a great friend of mine. But sometimes I have that through my head, like, man, it would be so much easier if I had the resources of 350 people in my church. And it's true there are some things that would be. You know, we'd be able to spend a little bit more money to make an impact, but the reality is, is the early church didn't have a lot of resources. They didn't have a lot of people. Although when we read, we find their people were much more generous with their resources and their time to support the church. But they got together. They just did with whatever they had. And the truth is, even us being a small church, we can be effective in this community. We can be effective reaching this city for the kingdom of heaven. And this will be corporately. We'll continue to do stuff together as a church. We plan on doing more things on a regular basis to share. Some of those things are like the events that we did with the, with the Monster Mash. And we do our, uh, an Easter event every single... Someone's buying pizza. You hear that? Is it Tony? Hallelujah. I think we're going to enact that role. Get them by Angela's if your phone goes off during the service. How's that sound? Praise God. Um, we're also going to spend some time doing some more training as well. We're going to be putting on classes for, for training in evangelism so we can all get better at sharing the gospel. And the truth is, is we're going to start trying to make more opportunities where we can go out as a church and reach this community, whether it be hitting the streets or events or doing any of those types of things. But the truth is, individually, we have a responsibility to share with others as well. The pastor or the leadership of a church is not the only people that are supposed to be sharing the gospel. We're not the only people that are allowed to tell people about Jesus, and we're not the only people that are allowed to preach to people. Amen? 
man, that was no, that was a perfect time for everybody. But amen, amen. That was where the amens were supposed to go. But you guys, you know, you can speak to your neighbors. You can speak to your friends. You can speak to your coworkers. And it doesn't have to be. The biggest thing we're afraid of is that we're going to be pressing or we're going to be pushing our religion. Anybody ever been afraid you're going to be pushing your religion on somebody? Nobody, really. You guys talk all the time. You're, man, preaching to the wrong crowd, apparently. A lot of times people think that we're going we're, you know, to be too pushy or too pressy or do other things. And no, we want people to make their own decision. Drives me crazy when parents tell them, I want to let my kids make their own decision. So they don't teach them about Jesus. Well, the truth is, if you're not preaching to your kids, somebody else is going to be. And you want to share your, your, with your kids the truth, what's, what's actually going on. And the thing is, we, we talk about we don't want to be pressy. We don't want to be pushing our religion on somebody. You know, we just want to live in our own little Christ, Christian bubble. But just like we talked about last week, if you really believe that if somebody is not saved, or they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, if that's what you believe... What kind of an awful person do you have to be to not share that with somebody else? To not saying, hey man, I want the best for you. I believe that if, you don't have, if you're not saved, that, that, that you are limited in eternity. You're going to spend eternity in hell. You won't have eternal life. How, why would you not want to share that with people? But we have to make it a point, <laughs> praise God, we have to make it a point as people to, to speak out to our friends, to speak out to our coworkers. And it may not even be speaking out. I'm not telling anybody to beat people over the head with a Bible. The truth is it's not effective. But you can show people in how you live your life and how, you, how you're kind to them and how you uh, care about them and how you want something better for their lives and you'll have opportunities to share with them. Matthew 28 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is known as the, the Great Commission. Unfortunately, in many churches today, and really the church at large is kind of the great omission because most of us aren't doing this and sharing the gospel with others. But he says, one, Jesus came and said, all authorities on heaven and earth has been given to me. So that means that Jesus has all authority, and he delegates that authority to us to go out into the world and share the gospel. And we recognize that Jesus gets his authority from God. Therefore, if Jesus gives his authority to us, then there's no other person or power that has greater authority than each and every one of us in this room. God has given us his authority. He sent this Holy Spirit so that we'd have power to accomplish what he wants us to do. That means he's, Jesus exercised his authority to teach, to heal, to cast out demons, and to forgive sins, right? So that means that we have that same authority as well to, to teach, to heal, to cast out demons. And we may not have the authority to forgive sins ourselves, because that's God's alone right. We have the authority to preach the forgiveness of sins. And I don't know about you, but that is good news, that you can have all of your sins forgiven. And the reality is, is we're not called to make converts. Jesus said, go to the fair and make disciples of all nations. 
And what is the difference between a disciple and a convert? A disciple makes a decision one Sunday morning and, and, and that's it. Never shows back up to church. But a disciple is somebody that we're going to work alongside, that we're going to train. We're going to teach them the word. We're going to teach them how to live a holy life. And we're going to work alongside them. It's kind of like being an apprentice, being a disciple. And if you're not being discipled, if you've given your life to Christ and you're not being discipled, get with some of the other men and women of this church who are mature Christians and let them come alongside you and teach you how to pray, teach you how to read your Bible effectively, teach you how to live for Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is one of those things, too, if we feel like that, that we're being pressy or pushy. It's not your idea. It's, it's Jesus' idea. It's God's idea that we share the gospel with others. And I know that there are some people that think, oh, no, 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 you've got it all wrong, Pastor. Jesus was just talking to the disciples, the 12 disciples. It wasn't for all of us. It was just the 12 disciples. But I know when I read the Scripture, I see that it wasn't just for the 12 disciples because let's read this in Acts 2 through, 6, 2 through 6. This is two people that weren't the 12 disciples, but they were stepping out in the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. And that's Stephen and Philip are the two primary examples that I see. Acts 6, 2 through 6. The 12 summoned summoned the full number of the disciples and said it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Perimenus, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So we have a group of guys here, and the two we're going to look at are Stephen and Philip. But these are a group of guys that were just in the church, they were being discipled, and they wanted to serve. So they said, hey, we have a problem. What's happening is some of the Hellenistic Jews' widows uh, were not being uh, fed during the, when they were handing out the food. So basically they set these guys to be in charge of the cafeteria line to make sure that everybody got fed, that nobody was missed out. So these guys came into one of the most unglorious positions in the church to just ladle out soup. You know, and it didn't seem very glorious. It didn't seem like they were doing all that much to impact the kingdom of God, but they were being discipled, they were being trained, and they were growing up. And then we read about Stephen again in Acts 6, 7 through 8. It says, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So now we have Stephen, who's just supposed to be a soup leader, right? He's nobody. He's not an apostle. This command to go out and, and reach the world wasn't for him, but he's going out there doing signs and wonders and miracles. He's a regular guy that's just being faithful to God, and God is doing amazing things in him. Acts 8, 4 through 6, we have the same story. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. He was fulfilling, going out, therefore making disciples of all nations. He went out. And it says, the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Philip and Stephen, they weren't, they weren't one of the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. But they went out in power and faithfulness to God. And the truth is, that's available for every single one of us. 
And not only is it available, but I believe it's our responsibility to be sharing the kingdom of heaven with others. And then in Mark 2, 15 through 17, we're going to start looking about kind of this attitude of Jesus and who Jesus was. And it says, as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw what he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Why did Jesus give this great commission for all of us to share the gospel with others? Why was it important to him? It's because Jesus loved people. Jesus came to die for people and give his life for people that even today will go to the grave ignoring who he was and refusing to receive that free gift that has been given to them, but he still was willing to go for them. Jesus loved people, and this isn't the only scripture you read about that, and, uh, and we see it over and over. And it's not even a, a specific kind of people either, right? He didn't just love rich people or people that had it all figured out. It says here he was sitting with the sinners and the tax collectors. And it still cracks me up how bad they thought of tax collectors. I mean, you think you think bad of the IRS now. These people thought they were the worst of the worst. They're like tax collectors and sinners, just slightly higher than that. They hated the tax collectors. And this is who Jesus is hanging out with, the worst of the worst. This is the dredge of society. These are the people, that the criminals, people that nobody but Jesus loved them too. And he went and spent time with them. Matthew 9.36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. The truth is we can think of sin. Like he says here, those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick, we can think of sin as a disease. Forgiveness is the cure in Jesus as the physician. And Jesus came and he executed that cure in each and every one of us and of our lives. And the truth is, is there are only types of people that Jesus can. Did you know there's people that Jesus can't help? There's only three types that Jesus can't help. Those who don't know of him. Those who know of him but refuse to trust him. And those who won't admit that they need him. The only three people that Jesus can't help. Anybody else is willing to say, yes, Jesus, I need you. Just say yes. Jesus is there for them. Now, the truth is, is there's not a whole lot that we can do about the last two groups. We can be an example to them. We can be a light to them. We can pray for them. But the truth is, if they have decided in their heart that either they don't need saving or that Jesus doesn't have anything for them, then there's not much that we can do if they're just refusing him except for pray for them, live our lives in such a way that they see Jesus in us, that they will feel Jesus' love from us, and at some point hope that we have the opportunity to speak to their heart when it becomes a little more softened. But the first one, those who don't know of him, those who don't know about him, that's decidedly our responsibility. And we just talked about in Matthew 9.36, Jesus had compassion for the people, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And I love this description because it's such a provocative description, sheep without a shepherd. It describes people that are lost. They have no direction. They might be looking for something, but they can't find it. They're utterly lost and capable of really taking care of themselves. I don't know 
if it's just a good analogy or if God insults us every time he refers to us as sheep because they're, they're kind of dumb animals. They're unable to care for themselves. They're unable to, they need a shepherd to guide them, to lead them to pasture, to lead them to water, to protect them from the, 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 the creatures that are hunting them. They need a shelter. They're defenseless. And they operate with a herd mentality, which is kind of like a lot of us, to be honest. But they will, they will follow anyone or anything that seems to have a little bit of confidence. So now when they're getting ready to, to uh, slaughter sheep for market, they have them all in a, in, a, in, a, in a big area, but it's very difficult to herd them basically to their death because they're in these big pens and they, they can kind of sense something's not right. They can sense something a little uneasy. So what they do to get these sheep to go where they want to go, which is essentially to their death so they can be slaughtered and packaged and all that stuff, is they have a goat that they've trained to walk into the path that takes them to the slaughterhouse. And this goat has been trained to get kind of to the edge, and he looks back and looks at him, and he walks a little bit further, and he looks back and he looks at him, and eventually the sheep will see this goat, and they'll follow this goat into the, the path to take them to slaughter. And at the very end, they take and open a gate to the left and they pull the goat through, but the sheep keep going down to the right and they're, they're, they're taken care of. You know what this goat is called? It, a Judas goat, scapegoat. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's the name of it. This, this goat is used to, because these sheep will follow anything. And the truth is we see that today. People will follow anything. Yeah, if that doesn't describe us, I just don't know what does. We're either completely lost or we're following the wrong thing. And that's where Jesus comes in. Because he is the good shepherd. Amen. Hallelujah. Luke 16, uh, 4, I'm sorry, Luke 4, 16 to 21 says, And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Did you know that Jesus came to bring the good news? That was, that was Jesus' purpose in life was to bring the good news. One, we see he loved people and that's why he did it and he came to bring the good news. And this is when Jesus gets up and begins to read a scroll. And the reference here is, is to the, the year of Jubilee. And the funny thing is, is the Jewish rabbis at this point attributed the scripture already to the Messiah. They already had decided this scripture referred to the Messiah when he was coming back. So when Jesus stood up and said, hey, this is me, y'all, they, th- this would have shocked the rabbis. This would have like, wait a minute, what is he trying to say? And what's, what's amazing about this is the year of Jubilee, and you can read about this in Leviticus 25, um, every seven year was the, the sabbatical year. It's the, the year of Jubilee. And for the nation, this is when the land was allowed to rest. They weren't allowed to plant crops. They had to let it kind of get through its thing so that the land could regenerate itself. And every 50th year, which is every seven of those years, they had uh, this. It was part of the year of Jubilee. 
So the sabbatical year was every seven years, the year of Jubilee. Sorry, I mixed up there. The uh, sabbatical year was every, every seven years, and the year of Jubilee was every 50 years. And in the year of Jubilee, the main purpose of this special year was the balancing of the economic system. Basically, those who were slaves went back to their family. Those who had bought property, it had to be returned to the owner. Everything was reverted back to the way it was. All debts were canceled. And this is kind of what happened with Jesus. He says, this is me, referring to that land, the year of Jubilee, but for all of us. We were in slavery, but we've been set free. We had a great debt among us, but our debt has been paid. And this is who Jesus says that we are. This is who he says that he is. He comes here and he's come to proclaim this good news. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And we have the same attitude inside of us. We have Jesus inside of us. It's not just him who should be proclaiming the good news. It's us. And the truth is, this is a great privilege to be able to do that. I mean, if you think about this, the problem is that somehow we get jaded to this idea of salvation because what if you knew you had, there was a family that was struggling? You guys ever seen, uh, you know, Caleb, or not Caleb, uh, uh, 93.7 does it. What's the name of that radio station? KRQ? I don't listen to it anymore. I forget. But I, when I used to, they used to do every year, they would do like this Christmas wish for somebody. And they would gather up all the presents, they'd do all this stuff, and somebody that was really hurting and needed it, they would go and deliver this to the family to take care of them during Christmas time. How awesome would it be to be the person to go ahead and give people all that stuff? I mean, can you imagine seeing the joy on their face when you're delivering that to be a part of that? Why don't we feel that way about the gospel? When it has a far more eternal impact than somebody getting a nice Christmas. And we get to make that kind of impact in somebody's lives. You know, the funny thing is, is when I'm, when I'm thinking about this, when it says we are to share the gospel, I, I think about it in my head. It's like, no, we're, we're supposed to share the gospel. We have to share the gospel. But the truth is, we get to share the gospel. We get to share an amazing thing with people that will turn their life completely around. And some people might think I'm crazy. You know, the gospel doesn't have that much power. The, you know, it can't really do that. But I know what it did in my life, and I know what it did in many of your lives. I know what the gospel can do in people's lives. I know what can happen when you're set free from that bondage that you had behind you and tearing you down and holding you down. This is good news. Romans 10, 11 through 13 says, For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. One of the greatest things I think that can hamper our ability to share the gospel with others is by picking and choosing who we're willing to share with. The great thing about Jesus is he spent time with people that were less than, than the less. They were the poor of the society. These were the people that were unlovable definitely weren't lovely but jesus spent time with them and the problem that we can have in sharing the gospel is we get it in our head that who we're going to share with and there's some people that we don't want to talk to or there's some people that we don't think want to be a part of the church or, or hear about this and we make decisions even somewhat subconsciously in our head but the truth is is the church is open to all the church is not a country club the church is for everybody 
It says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. How many know that when the Bible says everyone, it means everyone? And it says there's no distinction between Jews and Greeks for the same Lord is the Lord of all. For us today to apply that to our lives, it means there's no distinction between the rich and the poor. It, doesn't, it means there's no distinction between people that have different color skins or come from different backgrounds. It doesn't mean there's no distinction between those who have white-collar jobs and those who have blue-collar jobs. There's no distinction between man and woman. There's no distinction between any of those things. The gospel is available to all of us. And the Scripture says that whoever believes on them will be saved. The Scripture also says that they will not be disappointed. And we have that opportunity to share. And at church, I want to make sure that we, we think about that too when we're sharing. Have you guys ever heard the story about the pastor who dressed up as a homeless man and, and went to his church? There was a story of a very large church and it was a pastor who was just taking over to be pastor. So his first day there, what he did is he dressed up as a, as a homeless man and attended the church, and nobody would talk to him. Nobody would share with him. And he was kind of ostracized. They told him that he had to sit in the back. So when the worship was done and the, the service was about to start, the congregation was shocked and amazed to see him walk up from the back and take off those, those robes and show that he, was, he just wanted to see what the people were like. And we can be caught up in that as well church so as we talk about this as we look about how we're supposed to be sharing the gospel how we're supposed to be sharing with others we need to keep that in mind as well that this is for everybody i mean you got saved right so everybody else should be good if you made it in praise god romans ten fourteen says how then will they call him here's the responsibility part how then will they call on him whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching the truth is, is that Jesus came for the lost. And we see his heart for sinners and everything from what he did by giving up his life. But even how he lived on this earth when he spoke to people and interacted with them, you saw his heart. But there's just one missing piece. We have been left and given a responsibility. How will they hear if someone doesn't preach? You know, we think about this. It's not kind of a difficult concept if somebody doesn't preach they'll never hear the gospel if somebody doesn't tell them they'll never hear and this is our responsibility to tear down strongholds and false notions of who god and jesus is to people because the truth is people have been being preached to their entire lives and if you let if we let people have their idea who, who god is be built on what they see on tv they're going to be confused. And who can blame them for not wanting to serve a God like that? Because that's not who God really is. They've been taught their whole lives that God is just looking down from heaven, waiting for you to mess up so he can beat you over the leg with a stick. But the truth is, God is a loving God. And he doesn't really care what you've done. What he cares is that you will receive him and that you will trust him and that you have placed your faith and hope in him. And when you do that, all of those things that you think you're waiting to get smacked for, it says they're as far from you as the east is to the west, those sins. And the truth is, is that we can make an impact that we're never going to understand just by sharing with others because they have to hear. I want to read you a story about how Billy Graham gave his life to the Lord. And kind of if you follow it back. 
Edward Kimball was a shoe shop assistant on a Sunday school t- and a Sunday school teacher in Chicago, and he loved boys. Man, you really can't write stuff like that anymore. <laughs> You're talking about religion. Anyway. Yeah, that's not what it means. It says he spent, <laughs> he spent hours of his free time visiting the young street urchins in Chicago's inner city trying to win them to Christ. And through him, a young boy named D.L. Moody got saved in 1858. And Moody grew up to be a preacher. In 1879, uh, Moody won to the Lord a young man by the name of F.B. Meyer, who also grew up to be a preacher. And Meyer won a young man the name of J.W. Chapman to Christ. And Chapman, in turn, grew up to be a preacher and brought the message of Christ to a baseball player named Billy Sunday. As an athlete evangelist, Sunday helped a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina that was so successful that another evangelist by the name of Mordecai Ham That'd be a rough name to go through life with, huh? Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham was invited to Charlotte to preach, and it was while Ham was preaching that a teenager named Billy Graham gave his life to Jesus. And it all started with winning that first one, D.L. Moody. And really, if you know any of your church history, D.L. Moody was a great evangelist and preacher in his own right. But it's all because one person decided to share the gospel, and we see this exponential effect of people giving their lives. You never know whose life you're going to touch. You never know who's, who's, what impact that you're going to make by just sharing the gospel with somebody because you never know who they're going to touch and on and on and on. But the reality is, is that we have to share. We have to share because how can they call on him who they've not believed and how can they believe in him who they've never heard and how are they going to hear without somebody preaching see the first step is someone's got to preach then they have to hear and then they get to believe and call on the name of the lord jesus christ and this word preach here without somebody preaching it's the greek word cariso or something like that it's hard to read it's got accents and stuff but what it means is to preach or to herald, or to announce. And it's not limited to a proclamation from up here at the pulpit. The thing is, is you don't have to be a pastor to do it. To announce the good news, to herald the good news, that's something that we can all do in this room. We can preach and share with our friends, with our neighbors, and for sure with our kids. You can even preach to yourself. In 1 Corinthians 118, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. I also want you guys to not, to not be under any illusions that there will probably be pushback when you share the gospel. It takes courage and it takes strength, and there's going to be opposition because this is what the Scripture says. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Until the Holy Spirit gets a hold of their heart and they receive that message, the cross seems crazy. And people come up with all, this is why we see God preached in such a dangerous light because people don't really understand. They're like, that's crazy. Why would he send his son to die? Or God doesn't love you. Or God, you know, you can't, I can't be forgiven for these things. And the cross just seems like craziness, foolishness, and superstition. But it's not until you've experienced that saving power that you begin to realize that no, it isn't crazy. To us who are being saved, it's the power of God. We need to be prepared when sharing the gospel. There, are going to be, there is going to be pushback. There's going to be persecution. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. 
But we need to understand that as we come against this stuff, it's not our responsibility to save people. Our responsibility is to share the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to begin working on their hearts so that they'll receive Jesus Christ. But our responsibility is to share the gospel. Amen? And remember, when people reject you, that they're not actually rejecting you. If you do face rejection, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. You guys are lovely people. If you had a different message, they'd invite you right in. But they're rejecting the one who came to save them. That's what's so heartbreaking about it. Because he loved them so much that he gave everything. Then in Acts 13, uh, 13, 47 through 48, it's where we're going to end today. It says, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. It says, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. What I find interesting is that in the church today, this is not the attitude that we have anymore. We don't rejoice because we get to share such an incredible message, such incredible freedom, such incredible hope, forgiveness, love. We don't rejoice anymore because we can share that. At least not corporately. There are people that do, but there are plenty who don't. And I don't want that to be who we are as a church. Amen? And it's easy to fall out of practice. It's easy to slip away, but I want to refocus who we are as a church corporately, but also individually, so that we can be this light to the world. And make no mistake, as soon as you call yourself a Christian, you are shining for something. The question is, are they seeing Jesus, or are they seeing something else? Because whatever you do, as soon as you claim to be a Christian, is what other people will attribute to Christ, what they'll attribute to the church. If you say you're a Christian and you beat your wife, they're going to say, wow, Christians beat their wives. That's not very cool. I don't want to be a Christian. Think about that in our lives as we live it. You are a light shining to the world. Show people who Jesus is. Show them his love. Share with them the message of the gospel, which is hope and freedom. Tell them that Jesus loves them more than they could ever imagine. And every sin they've ever accomplished has been taken care of on the cross by him. Tell them that there's more to life than wondering what's going to happen when they're going to die. There's more to life than being stuck in these addictions. There's more to life than being stuck in these health issues. Jesus died to make them whole in every way. And that's good news. That's the gospel that Jesus gave up everything for him. And I want you to know, church, that through you, if you will be obedient and share the gospel, if you will be obedient to those things, lives will be saved. People's lives will be impacted. And if you're concerned about being rejected, think about it in your own life. I think about for me when people shared the gospel, how many years I rejected that. And I'm so thankful that people kept trying because finally, Someone got through this thick noodle of mine and I was able to say yes and it changed my life completely. You will make an eternal impact if you'll share, amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our head as we close the service.